gorgeous stuff from Shade, a track from a new LP, and that one is called Maureen. Cheers, Jane. And if you've got any sense of fun about you, you'll have your head in a bucket by now, ducking for apples whilst listening to me. Ten minutes past two and coming up a chance to win a brand new car and at the same time help a London child. We're a day late with a new chart, chart because of the bank holiday, but let's have a look at it. It's just arrived. At number 30, Woody Boogie from Baltimore in a 29 pop life from Prince. My idea for a publicity stunt of parking the car on the roof of Capital Radio didn't work out too well. Did you notice the car underneath and the publicity pictures in the paper? <laughs> it was in bits, wasn't it? Yep. That was the boss's car. Simon Young. Hello again for the next two hours. Saturday Pop Line. All your favourite songs from both the Irish and the UK chart. Here's the water boy. Back in the 60s, music radio had arrived from across the Atlantic. In Europe, it came in the form of Radio Luxembourg and the pirate ships like Radio Caroline. And with them, a new breed of broadcaster emerged. The DJ. Often they were despised, or at least never taken seriously by those already working in the more established areas of broadcasting. However, like it or not, the DJ has become very much part of radio today. You may wonder, what exactly do they do, and why do they do it? Do they get paid for just playing records and interrupting with idle chat? Well, in this programme, Simon Young and Larry Gogan of Radio 2, along with Janice Long of BBC Radio 1, and Declan Meehan, a former DJ with Radio 2, now working in Capital Radio in London, all tell their stories as to why they want to dedicate their lives to playing disc after disc, four in a row. We had an old radiogram thing at home, and I'd play records and that and listen to Luxembourg and sort of introduce them, holding onto a brush handle, that sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, which is, sounds absolutely crazy, yeah. but it's, it's what I was into at the time. Uh, the other guys, I suppose, were off playing, playing football or something. There was something about a radio disc jockey that appealed to me, and I think really what it was was the fact that I was really more into bands. I was into people like Mark Boland, we say at the time, or whoever. And I think I looked on the disc jockey as a little stepping stone that'll get you a little bit closer to that person because you took it for granted that he actually knew the pop star right. when he was introducing the record. Um, or he might say, here's a guy I met, Nick Kershaw, whoever it was at a club during the week. And uh, you treated it a little bit... And I think it's still the same today, really. Yeah. That but there, would, there wouldn't have been a sort... I mean, when you were, say, 10 and 12, I mean, you're 26 now. That's right. Are we allowed to say that? Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> OK. Um, but there wouldn't have been disc jockeys as such then. I mean, there wasn't, a, a, a like, a Radio 2 or... I mean, the but, pirates, as we know them, weren't really... But there was a Radio Luxembourg, yeah. which had a pretty big listenership, even here in Ireland at the time. Um... The only other programme, pop programme, I think, was, in fact, Larry Gogan, who did Pop Call. Uh, a lot of people uh, say that, you know, you're the first DJ. But um, Gay was there uh, before me, mm. and Eamon Andrews, strangely enough, people, people say, you know, they wouldn't regard them today as, as, as DJs, DJs because they progressed out of that probably into, yeah. into something much more. But um, in, in, uh, as a boy, like when I used to listen in the 50s, say, and uh, to, to radio, the only pop programmes you could get on Radio Awareness, it was, were sponsored programmes. That's you know. right, yeah. And I started in sponsored programmes, actually, yeah. as indeed did Gay and uh, Mike Murphy and um, Brendan Balfe. 
I did start on a thing called Morning Melody in the 60s, which was mm. a, uh, one of the first kind of programs that they had commercials in as mm. well. But you had to give your script in the day before and it had to be vetted, you know, and they read through the whole script to say every little word you're going to say, you know, before they oh, let you on the air. There was no way you would ad lib. Do what you're doing now. No way, no. And indeed, I remember when I did uh, the top 10, first of all, and they wanted my script and I gave the script and there was only two pages in it and they said, well, that's not a script, you know, because, I mean, up to that, every record had about a, a fool's cap page of an introduction, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know where, they, where they would give the history of somebody. If yeah. you're introducing the Beatles, you'd get, you know, John Lennon, Paul McCartney, Ringo Starr and George Harrison, they came from Liverpool where they yeah. started so and so on and on and on and on and on they went. But it was... Um, but would you have been listening, say, to Radio Luxembourg? Oh, yes, all the time, yeah. That's from the time I can... As long back as my memory goes, yeah. uh, I always listened to to Luxembourg and that was the only thing I wanted to do actually was to be a DJ I was about I was I never did anything else I went I came from school and I worked for six months in CIE and then I went on radio then so I would have been you know um, 20 19 or 20 I suppose yeah so was that even? I was I was very young actually when I said I never did anything else. You see, I've never ever done anything. I, the only I've ever what done. What did you do in CIE? I was a clerk for six months. Yeah. Then they put me out and I didn't pass the exam. Was that <laughs> something like that? <laughs> I worked in Ringsend, a garage, taking in money from conductors and things like that. You know, yeah. and uh, it was only kind of a temporary job. But I didn't really. I wasn't really happy in it. But uh, I got an audition. I just kept pestering away. You know, I, the first thing I did actually was a on a sponsored program. It wasn't as a DJ. It was it was a taking a part in a in a. Um, a serial, you know, like something like Harbour Hotel, you know, the, called District Nurse, yeah. District I, Nurse? I wasn't the District <laughs> Nurse, no. I was, I played, I was a young man or something like that. Young you know? doctor. Young yeah. doctor, something like that. <laughs> <laughs> that was, a, that was, a, that was a sponsor program. They used to be sponsored by uh, Cousin Soap, I think, yeah. at the time. That's what started me off. If you but, were starting off now, mm. I mean, you'd, you'd be a young pirate. I DJ. probably would be, yeah. Oh, yes, I'd say I would. Because if, if there was nowhere else to work, I would be a pirate. Yeah, there's no two ways about that. Well, when I started off first, in fact, um, <clears throat> on the pirates, just a few minutes before my very first program, um, the guy at the time, in fact, Declan Declan Mean, who mm. in fact worked for Radio Two, he in fact said to me, "Okay, well, you're on now in ten minutes' time for your first program in pirates or whatever. You know, what um, what are you going to call yourself?" And I said, oh, "I'm going to call myself Tommy Mead." He said, <laughs> not going to call yourself Tommy Reed. He said, think of something else. So I said, oh, you know, I felt a little bit hurt about this. You know, I saw to my father, his name's the same. <laughs> so um, I, I just came up, but I just, I thought, well, I don't know. It just, it just sort of came, you know, Simon, I suppose, a bit of a boy's sort of name, you know. But I mean, it, it used to be a little bit of a hassle, I suppose, when I was living at home with the mum and dad, because um, somebody might ring up and, you know, Say is is Simon there? And next year you hear my mother shouting, "Thomas!" up the up the stairs. You know, so, what the hell is going on here? You know, I was starting to come into my teens, and I wanted something that was different than my parents, what they mm. wanted, and other people sort of looked to pop stars or looked to some sort of rebellious streak that they have to find something else. I found this radio station, which my mother hated because she was, it was too noisy and too full yeah. of pop music. And I said, this is the one for me. I want to be part of it. I want to be a disc jockey out there. I wanted to be out on the boat uh, doing something that was against the authorities in a way because I was coming to that age where I, I was a little bit rebellious. Yeah. And the lads on, on board and the disc jockeys made it sound so much like fun yeah. out there. And they were doing it. Yeah. So I wanted to be in their gang. That was simply it. And how did you attempt to get into their gang? 
Um, I had no idea. I thought that I would develop um, by playing records. I'm a little record player myself, and eventually I'd be good enough to join them. Yeah. So um, I got the mother. I suppose is giving in to authority, I suppose, but I allowed the mother buy me a record player. Yeah. And every week I used to buy the old records and play away and uh, develop being a disc jockey, probably copying everybody who was around. And eventually, in the early 70s, the tape recorder that, that we used um, was exchanged for a transmitter mm. and we started up a pirate radio station on land. Very good. What pirate was this? It was a station called Radio Vanessa, named after a girl up the road who was lovely. <laughs> <laughs> and we were too shy to talk to her. That was part of it as well. Yeah, yeah. It's always good to sort of, um, you know, I used to be very quiet at the time. And, um, you know, it was good to be in a room by yourself with a microphone and say, hey, nobody to interrupt here. <laughs> I can be my personality and you better listen. I'm going to play all the records. I think you have to be a certain amount of an egomaniac to be a disc jockey. Now, you begin with that, mm. and you're, you, you, that gives you the confidence. You say, well, I'm an egomaniac here. Um, that means I, I'm going on the air, and I've got the confidence now to actually say what I want to say because um, people are interested, because they have to be, because I'm such a wonderful person. Mm. Whatever. Then, sort of modify that and temper it with the nice guy approach you've got to be a nice guy as mm. well because people will see through um what you are and see that you're an egomaniac so you've got <laughs> to develop being a nice guy on the radio now that takes away from the ego secondly you've got to highlight the aspects of your personality which make you a nice guy yeah. so that you sell yourself to the public and it's it sounds cold and calculating but it's not it, it, it just comes by by noticing little things and you don't even have to consciously change I think you're streamlined by compliments or slaggings or things you notice on tapes yourself you notice God that was ropey <laughs> that was ropey yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've had many of those <laughs> I see myself as a, a fan who yeah. is playing stuff that I like I always think of DJs as being the sort of people who hang out in Marbella with hairy chests and gold medallions and, <laughs> and don't really have... those around here, though. <laughs> I suppose so. People who yeah. don't have that much of an interest in music. Um, yeah. I hope that's the way I think of DJs. Um, I tend to think of myself as a fan who likes talking to people and likes playing records. Yeah. I mean, to me, it's a bit like, you know, if I get something in, if I get, say, you know, for the sake of argument, the new Pogues album mm. in, I can sort of go, look, listen, this has just come out and I like this, this and this. And that's how I think of myself as somebody But what about the whole sort of thing of selling your personality? I mean, if it was just like, I like this and here, listen to it, and there was sort of none of you sort of oozing over the record. I mean, yes, obviously I have got personality on air, and it's exactly the same personality that's off air. The only difference is when I'm on air, you don't actually find anything else about my private life. I'm not one of these DJs that's in to sort of think, well, I went here last night and I met such and such, and we had the most incredible meal, and we did this, that and the other. Uh, It's very much me without all the mm. private bits of me. I'm sure that, that when I started, um, they didn't see me as being <laughs> very long because I was absolutely <laughs> useless. Because uh, um, I, was, I was desperately trying yeah. to, to sound like I a know. DJ, you know, <laughs> sort of 275, 28. And I, I mean, I wasn't used to doing that sort of thing at all. And then one day I just took, took stock of myself and I thought, I can't do that. I can't pretend 
to, to you know to be a DJ. I'm just going to have to be myself, and if it works, it works, yeah. and if it doesn't, it doesn't. And um, then from then on, things did work. What about uh, what about the idea that there's so few women working in the job? Probably because I mean I, I'd never ever thought of working for Radio One. I remember when I was working for Radio Merseyside, and my mum said to me, "Why didn't you go and work for Radio One? You know, as if you could, you just sort of go and work for Radio One." <laughs> That's a good idea. Brother. <laughs> yeah. Why didn't you go and work in Boots? Um, why didn't you go and work in Radio One? And I said. Oh no, it's all men there, mm. and I'd I'd always thought of it as being a sort of male domain, and they never had women. I'd never thought of it as being sexist. I just just assumed that that's what it was. It was just this male yeah. thing, and in fact, I applied to Radio Two <laughs> to do the continuity announcing. Radio Two, <laughs> um, and it was as I applied for that, I got offered a job here, and uh, I said to the boss um, when they offered me the job here, so why don't you have any? girls working here apart from Annie and he said well because girls don't apply and um, but a lot of people would say girls aren't that good at being DJs what a load of codswallop what, what an absolute load of stupid nonsense well, um, I mean, say, yeah. say the way radio's going I mean, there are loads of, of blokes who are rubbish yeah you know, they get away with it <laughs> it was a battle uh, in the early days like in the early kind of 60s now it was it was a battle to play a lot of pop music a lot of pop music was kind of frowned on like, like you know and, and uh, it was only some of the sponsored people that, that played it even then a lot, a lot of those firms wouldn't have it you know they wanted the kind of very middle of the road people you know the kind of very Como and Frank Sinatra and all these kind of people and they, they did not want kind of these beat groups as they called them like the Beatles and you know the Stones and all the Stones it was, it was very difficult to get records played I remember having lots of rows with producers in, 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 in RT about playing the Stones because too noisy for the morning and too noisy for lunchtime and no matter what time it was too noisy It's top of the pops. Virgil Sharkey and a good heart. That's the highest climber this week. And next week, I reckon it's going to be fighting for number one with this. Elton John, he's at number four. The video is gorgeous. He's looking to. It's a job. Mm. Um, in fact, it's more than a job. It's a way of life. But if you accept 
but it's short term. It's a bit like being a footballer. You don't expect to be playing football when you're 65. And I think if you accept that, it's all right. It's when you start believing that all of the people that you meet mm. are friends, that all of the things that you do will carry on happening to you, that, you know, you, you're going to go to fancy places, fancy parties, meet incredible people. As long as you accept that that's not long term, I think you can handle it. Um, but I think people who think that it is forever and think that they are going to be liked forever and be the most wonderful human being, I think they've got problems. If you stop believing publicity as well, all the good, good publicity. <laughs> Bad you know. publicity. Yeah. When I started in Radio 2, the first six months, I got a, a six-month contract, and the first six months I, I, I worried, <clears throat> would my next contract come up? Uh, which was a silly thing to do. Mm. But at the time, I was just brand new, and, uh, and that's what happened. So when I got my second contract then, naturally enough, it's, it's uh, celebration time, very happy. And I said to myself, well, hold on a second, you've got it, go ahead, do your programme as best as you possibly can, and don't worry about it. Uh, if it comes up, great, if it doesn't, okay, we'll worry about it then. But about a month, I suppose, before everybody's contract is up, um, and they can all be up at different times, of course, um, about a month before it's up, you do sort of say, well, what am I going to get on the next schedule, or is it going to be renewed, or um, will they sort of say, well, look, we're going to take one program off you and just leave you with two as opposed to three and that sort of thing. I've only got one, so <laughs> if they yeah. take it off me, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> so you're at the door. At the door, I suppose. Yeah. If, if somebody up there decided that... Yeah. People get to know you on the radio, and they get to know little things about you, um, and y you open up to them pretty much, you know. Um, you do, and I think that by doing that, it's a little bit like sitting down, we say, to dance with a girl, you tell her everything about yourself, and you make a date, and she doesn't turn up. You feel... I mean, I'm after telling her everything about she knows my whole life story and, and she doesn't turn up. So it, it would be a little bit like that, I think. Yeah. 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 I've always been insecure. You know, when I got married, I mean, I've never had a job as such. Yeah. You know, I still don't have a job. <laughs> you know? <laughs> <But> <laughs> I don't, though. Do you wake up and say, my God, this is No, I don't. Not day. at all. No, I don't. But how no. far ahead do you plan? I just plan, you know, they, they give you, uh, send you a contract and, you know, I keep going along. I don't really, yeah. I don't ever think really that, that, uh, forward at all yeah. really I know that some people uh, like to plan all their lives ahead and like what are going to do and, and people say but you haven't got a secure job but when you, when you think of all the firms in the last few years have gone bang like people <laughs> had jobs for life you know yeah. waiting for their pension and that kind of thing Back in the 60s, it was very mm. much a thing of getting into a job that's good and steady and secure. And yes, I was unique in that way. My mother um, always thought that I was the one that had no job in the family. Yeah. You know, even to the day she died, she said, he's no job, you know, because they, they couldn't understand this thing. All right. Yeah, it, it was. You're right. It was a period that when you left school, you, you know, you, you went into a job and you stayed there till you were 65 and so on. Yeah. But that wasn't for me, though. You know, I, I, I just always wanted to be a DJ. I got myself an ambition. Mm. I said, I have to have some ambition to work for on this and I wanted to have the biggest programme on the biggest radio station in Dublin yeah. never really thought of the country though I did go in for a few auditions into RTE but that was um, loads of people just felt that they had to do that that was in the early days wasn't it? that was um, mid 70s oh yeah, yeah. yeah but the main thing I wanted was the commercial radio station for Dublin this was mentioned all along the lines and I said well I want the biggest programme on that station yeah. Anyhow, um, Big D and ARD seemed to be getting away with murder back in 1978 and getting yeah. bigger and bigger. And it prompted people within RTE um, to start up 
Radio 2. Yeah. So naturally we thought, hey, well, Radio 2, this has to be the next step. Yeah. And went in, did the audition, auditions, and eventually got the little program. Here I was, a full-time presenter, yeah. giving a daily program. I wasn't really ready for a daily program, I thought. Um, well, did you get much training? What? <laughs> <laughs> DJs don't get any training. This is a myth. It's experience that you've had on other radio stations. Yeah, but suddenly things. you're on a national station. I mean, is there not, was there a break in? Well, period? the power of the transmitter didn't make any difference, or its coverage. What was different was the different structures mm. of having a producer, having a sound engineer, um, having to think about every record you played or every comment, yeah. and not only that, but be aware of offending people. If if you say something on RTE or say something on a pirate station, the reaction is totally different mm. because RTE being the voice of the nation. That's right, yeah. And that was a, a new pressure, um, a new aspect to the broadcasting, which was different together with, you know, the producer yeah. angle. And Would you say you handled it well? Initially, no. Yeah. Not at all. Um, I spent some time on the breakfast show, which which wasn't my greatest success why not um, I don't I don't know really I just I think it was too much too soon it took, takes me a while to settle yeah, in yeah. on each station I joined yeah um, would you say the show didn't work I wasn't um, working it was up against Mike Murphy it was a difficult time yeah and Mike Murphy was in his heyday at that time so it was difficult for anybody to come in um, I'd never done a breakfast show before and coming into national station with all the different aspects of broadcasting which didn't help I wasn't myself mm. it was only when I moved to 10 to 12 at night then that um, things really took off there was a decision made within RTE that I shouldn't be on the schedule anymore yeah. and that came as a surprise and a shock because uh, the program had been doing very well yeah. and I was told that no um, you're being rested <laughs> or whatever and that was it, and that was... How was did really you hear shy. that? I mean, how, how are you told? Oh, the uh, assistant controller told me. Yeah. Just, yeah. There was no reason for it. Did they say, well, you're not, I mean, you're not performing the way we thought you would, or...? Um, I think it was more a case that they had a vision of the radio station, and I didn't really fit in with what mm. was required for it at that time. Yeah. And that's a professional decision. All program directors make it all around the world. They say, hey, you know, we think you're very good, but not for our station. Yeah. Would you say it was because you were pushing the limits at all, or you were causing trouble, or...? Oh, I think all disc jockeys push the limits to a certain yeah. degree. Um, I think but that's I mean, a fun I, aspect. Yeah, in a way that that sacking from Radio 2, it mentioned this, it's like DJ folk hero. Oh yeah, it did me a lot of good. <laughs> yeah. uh, but I'm now, not saying that now, it's not true. No, now but stories will go around that it was because you were always sort of mouthing off about this is the way we do things or that's the way we do things. Was that, would, that, would you say you suffered because of that? I don't think in public that I said anything against Radio 2. Yeah. I think that in private, as in all radio stations, one works in, they will talk to their superiors and other people and say, well, I don't think we should be doing it that way, I think we should do it this way. And but you maybe I was saying it yeah. quite a lot, and maybe I I said it um, I didn't um, sort of choose the right language. Yeah. But uh, it said nothing in public. But so that, was that a big shock? Obviously. Oh yeah. I mean, this is the end, sort of thing. Um, I thought it was the end of 
of me in big time radio um, in Ireland mm. and I said, this can't happen I said, because the programme was success and I think I'm good on it mm. and it wasn't like leaving the breakfast show where I said well yeah maybe another guy should have mm. a go um, so that's why it became a shock I, I didn't expect it mm. at all I went home and cried mm. and then I told my mother because my mother had been delighted that I got into RTE. I mean, initially they were saying, good grief, what are you doing messing around with all these pirate radio stations? We mm. don't want the police in here telling us that you're a criminal. <laughs> I said, what are you this chuck? You're playing records. Yeah, it's not a real job, is it? Uh, but anyway, I had to go home and say to her and she naturally was delighted when I got the job. She looked back to people like Dennis Brennan and John Skeen and Niall Bowden and she Gabe said, Warren. and Gabe Brown, <laughs> and she says, Declan is working in there. So obviously, you know, she was disappointed for for me as well. Yeah. Um, and that was the hardest part, actually, telling them at home. I had my good cry, but then I said, you know, after the dust settled, I said, hmm, hold on a second. The programme was good, and I was good on it. Yeah. I just don't fit in with that station. Yeah. I said, you know, if this were America, um, there'd be different radio stations, and different I would have a job. Yeah. yeah. So that took me about a month to reconcile that and at the same time my heroes from the 60s arrived over in Ireland I hear that uh, Robbie Dale came over and Chris Carey came over and they were setting up a radio station and in a way I sort of said well thank God I'm not an RTE because the the pirate was coming out of me again the kid was coming out of me and saying I want to work with these people that's what I wanted to do back in the 60s I wanted to be on the boat with these people now they're bringing the boat to me uh, a lot of fellas have come and go but a lot, a lot of them uh, some, some fellas though put themselves kind of bigger than the music and bigger than the station and I don't think you can put yourself bigger than the system like you know that has been right. proved in political circles and in, indeed in lots of kind of big organisations like that I don't think you can put yourself bigger than them and this happened to a few fellas alright but, but have you I mean obviously you've seen people come and slide and mm. that sort of thing mm. and how do you I mean I mean you've you've kept your slot very definitely mm. at, the, at the lunchtime um, but how do you think they are feeling I mean as a DJ how would you see that they are feeling when, when that begins to happen when the slip comes in I don't know <coughs> It's never really happened to me, you know. Um, I, I, I don't know how you'd feel. Yeah. It must be a terrible feeling. But I think I'd, I, I think if I thought I was, I was kind of going or slipping down, I think I'd get out. You know. Yeah. I'd hate to be kind of, kind of uh, just hanging on like with a kind of a. People you know, looking at you. Yeah, your man is finished or something like yeah. that. Yeah. I'd hate that. I, He's played no, his I think last game. I think yes. <laughs> but his last record, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think I'd, I think uh, <clears throat> I think it'd be time to get out. Like you know, really. Yeah. Right, okay, Simon, here we are in your, in your home in the suburbs of Dublin. Mm-hmm. I don't know whether you should give your address because you might be inundated with people coming there. The taxman. Yeah. yeah, you, like quite a, quite a lot of other people that I'll be talking to, have a little place where they go where they, where they can uh, get, do, sort of do their homework and sort of thing. That's right. In fact, upstairs, which maybe we, we, we'll, yeah, take okay. a, we'll take a little ramble up there now. Okay. Um, yeah, I suppose most of us would have a little place where we can uh, retire to in yeah. the evenings or whatever uh, which sounds very old fashioned but um, where we can sort of spin a few discs listen to the new stuff yeah. uh, as I was saying to you earlier on there'd be a lot of new stuff to listen yeah. to each week so it's important I suppose that we do have a, a little room where we can uh, get away from it all or where the, the wife can yeah. send us if, she, if we're under her right. feet and get things together Yeah. so <coughs> this, this is what this is a, a DJ study 
Yeah. And in fact, for me, it looks like heaven. Yeah. <laughs> I'll just describe it. As you come in the door, you have your first Radio 2 contract up on the, on the, wall, up yeah. on the wall. Once yeah. I never have, have, have to put the last one up beside it, now we're okay. Yeah. That's the first one I got from Radio 2, yeah. And then what you have is, is basically uh, what's known in the business as a comp op unit or a mixer and two decks and yeah. tape machines. A high speed copier, tuner yeah. amp, microphone. A uh, couple of headphone sets, and of course the records as well. Yeah. Um, all the albums here on this side. I've got to get some more new shelves. I just recently got these yeah. shelves built for the singles over here mm -hmm. because probably about I don't know the collections are around ten thousand. I'd say now you know. You now have ten thousand records. Uh, uh, approximately ten. And where do you keep yeah. them all? Well, believe it or not, there's probably about maybe three, three and a half here. There's some more in the attic, some in the yeah. garage. Um, a lot at a regular gig that I do in town. There's probably about 2,000 in there. And uh, all over the place, really, you know. A couple of boxes of them in the car as well for the, for the, the country gigs and that as well, you know. Obviously, at some stage, you're going to have to buy another house. Uh, maybe so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, so I'll let you get to work. Okay, so we'll, we'll sit down here. That's this. These Radio 2 microphones never work.
about the fact that say radio has gone very Americanized. I mean, yeah. in Ireland maybe even more so. I mean, we've got sort of FM pirate stations mm. that sort of just steely down all day, and therefore the, the sort of you know the the laid back cool guy with the deep voice works very well. And that's what they we've actually got that here now because yeah. we've got a girl called Anne Marie Gray who does Saturday Night, and she's got an American accent and it's yeah. very sort of laid back. And I hope you're enjoying yourself while you're in the shower and that sort of stuff. Um, and, and I mean that that sounds really good. Um, Do you think so? Yeah, because I'm I'm sure there's an audience that like that sort of thing. I mean, you don't though. Well, I. Would you be opposed to that sort of American radio? You see, I'm not into slick radio. I yeah. find very slick, laid-back radio very boring. Mm. I would rather hear somebody making lots and lots of mistakes, not having the record queued up. I don't, don't mean doing it on purpose, but I like to hear the human side of a presenter, DJ, whatever you care to call them. I am not into people who talk to, you know, talk up to the vocals, one, one, one with a jingle, seg, and, and all of that. To me, that's really boring. Yeah. I like I like DJs to be people. I don't like them to sound like machines. I like them to be people. And life isn't smooth. People in real life, when I'm talking to you now, I'm mumming and ahhing and getting my words muddled up. Mm. And I think that's the way radio should be as well. I think it should be human. I can't quite put their f- finger on um, what makes a disc jockey good or bad in, in a lot of cases. Mm. But it's the disc jockey who makes it appear so easy and is it's just they're doing the job and you hardly notice them, I suppose, is... The guy who's the most successful. Why though? <laughs> I don't, get I that don't at understand all. it. <laughs> Why? <laughs> Do you dispute it? Yeah. I mean, okay. What you're saying is the guy who keeps his mouth shut and plays all the nice records and makes sure he hits the news on time. No, is the winner. If he if he talks and what he says is good rather than claptrap. Yeah. The current style we're only talking about at yeah. the moment. Yeah. It is the DJ who can say the important thing so you only have to listen you listen and you know he's going to say something interesting or funny or entertaining whereas before that it was I'll tell you all sorts of junk yeah. um, but the current style is that in, in America it's gone the other way yeah. uh, quite recently I was reading about them and they were, they were now scrambling over one another looking for radio personalities again in America that the, that the, the public had got tired of this thing of you know one record after another but not, no speech at all and I think that, that all those things are kind of a phase it's like, it's like the voiceover thing you know mm-hmm. at one time there was a big thing you know always to talk up to the minute of the, the, the singer vocals, st- yeah. vocals started and that went away then you know in the 70s and kind of, now you, it's back you, you never do that though Oh yeah, I used to though. I used to. I used to listen to you now for no. a few weeks, and that's right. Yeah, I never. Well, I used to though. Yeah. Why not? You used to call me the king of the VOs one time. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I used to do. I used to do that all the time. It went out of. It went out. It went out, out of phase, you know. Yeah. And now that I'll bring it back, all these phases again. Oh, I do it again if that's what I think the people want, you know. Well, I was talking to Simon Young this morning, and mm-hmm. he was saying that um, he said, "Well, I have to make my money now because as a DJ, you can't go on forever." Do you ever get? No, never think that. I think that's. I don't know why they think like that, you know. Maybe maybe if I thought like that, I'd be gone. Maybe I'd be doing some boring old thing somewhere else. I don't but know. But surely it must cross your mind from time to time. Well, I've that been you doing <coughs> this job for a long time. Yeah. No, it, it, it crossed my mind that, that maybe that someday you'd, you'd be too old to do it. Well, if you are, you are, sure. I suppose, yeah. or, they, or if they decide that you shouldn't do it. Yeah. I don't think it... Uh, I would... Um, have appreciated the the good years I've had, and but I still enjoy the music. I still enjoy listening to new releases and finding new kind of uh, bands and new singers and things like that. And uh, I never got bored with it at all. I know what, what you mean that in, that in England they move from kind of Radio One over there to Radio Two, then to Radio Four, then That's Radio right. Three, <laughs> and they're about ninety. That's right. Radio Two and you're ninety. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but um, you don't feel that. 
No, I don't. I feel. I don't feel old. But I'm not old anyway. But yeah. I mean, apart from that, I don't. No, I feel right in the middle of it. Yeah. I don't. I don't. And I mean, uh, certainly, any of the kind of you know surveys and things they do, people still listen. And if I do a disco or something, they're always kind of big crowds at it. You know. That's so right. I might just come out to see am I still alive or something. I don't know. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> no. But uh, I think that there comes a time when it's right for one not to be on pop radio. And if you can modify yourself into being accepted, you can get an an extra few years out of it. But as soon as you're wrong for it, it's the time to be out. I hope to be out of it before I'm not right for it. But I think at the moment I've got a couple of more years left in it. It is a young person's game, though. There's no doubt. Especially the, the hunger aspect. There's somebody who wants to get on. There's somebody who wants to do it. And there's somebody who will work 24 hours a day because they love it. As as you soon go through your 30s, uh, I'm sure what happens is you've got more interests, you've got your personal life, or you, there's other things you want to do, and the hunger aspect is not there anymore because you've done it. It's a state of mind as long as you're, you know, you don't say um, to a blues singer, well, you're 65 now, you've got to give up, do you? You don't, in any other walk of life, say to people, well, you know, you're 30. Don't BBC think you'd be a. <laughs> yeah, we'll farm you out now. You're 90, Radio 3. <laughs> no, it's a state of mind. I mean, look at Peely. He's mm. he's young at heart, and that's what's what's important. I think it, what once um, once you stop actually taking an interest in something, no matter what your age is, that's the time to give up. Yeah. What about you, though? I mean, are you going to? Oh God, I'm going to be one of the. I'm going to be like mutton dressed as lamb when I'm 60, and you know, still jumping up, uh, up no, and down. No, seriously, and I mean it. Are you going to? Ke- are you going to keep? Well, I've, I, I mean, I've I've never changed in, yeah. um, you know, fifteen years since I've you know started buying records and started going to gigs. So I don't think there's anything that's going to stop me. I mean, what about, yeah, but what about um, in ten years' time, right? What do do I see myself? What, what age would you be when you're ten? Would you have to say? But uh, gosh, I'll be twenty-four. No, I'll be forty. Even now, mm-hmm. Ten years' time, I'll be forty. And what will you be doing when you're forty? I've no idea because I've never planned. Uh-huh. My life. I've never ever. I've never said I want to do, or you know, what I'll do now is make a nice little move here, and uh, then I see myself. Do. I've never done that. I'm a great believer in fate, mm. and things will turn out the way they will turn out. I would like in ten years' time, certainly to have had two children. Um, I'd like to be doing in-depth interviews with people, investigative reporting, and things like that. You know, fighting for underdogs. That's what I'd like to do. Yeah. Uh, I, I did go and see a clairvoyant um, a couple of years ago, and she told me that I'm going to be a great campaigner. But ultimately, you're a DJ. Ultimately, a DJ I am a DJ, yeah, and I'm a DJ at heart. I always wanted to be a DJ, and that's what I am. I regard myself as a DJ. I don't regard myself as kind of a broadcaster, in inverted commas, you know. I always regard myself as a DJ or a compare, probably. But a DJ is what I like to be known as. Of course, you might not realise this, but uh, here's a wonderful movie. That's uh, Jennifer Rush and The Power of Love. Next week on Top of the Pops, it's Peter Powell and Steve Wright. Don't miss them. We're going to dance now. Oh, we're to shaking Stevens' uh, stick powder and paint. See ya. Bye. Come on.
Maybe I never grew up or something, I don't know.